0: Beautiful singing, beautiful singing. Happy Lord's Day to you all. And let's uh, go ahead and open up our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. Well, if you're just now visiting us here this morning for the first time, we've been in a sermon series on suffering, on how to face trials, how to stand trial, how to suffer a trial as unto the Lord. And we've been looking at a particular trial in the life of David and gathering some principles from that. We know, we've learned, that God has not promised us a life of ease. Amen? Amen. Amen. Brother Kevin, would you turn me down just a smidge? God has not promised us a life of ease, and He has not promised us escape. What He has promised us is victory. Not victory in spite of sin and suffering and trial, but victory through it. Not victory in lieu of it, not victory apart from it. There's no free ways to bypass the pains and the trials of this life, but He has promised us victory through it. He says to us, if you are going to follow Him, what must you do? You must pick up your cross and follow after Him. And there was no other way. There was simply no other way. Lucy, in the, in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia, looking into the face of Aslan and wanting to get past him to the water to drink, and I'll have to paraphrase this for you. She said, uh, sir, would you mind kindly... Moving aside so that I could make it to the brook to have a drink of water. And he said, of course, no. Now, for those of you not familiar, Aslan is a type of Christ. And he is a massive, incredibly ferocious, scary lion. He is very much like God in many ways. For God is terrible and awesome and mighty and loving. Amen. Lucy was terrified of the claws, of the teeth, of the mane. And so she asked him to move aside. and He said, I will not move aside. Well, she said, well, is there any other way? I'm thirsty. I need a drink. And he said, my girl, there is no other way. And she said, hoping to maintain some control over the situation, she said, well, do you eat children? <laughs> and he says, young lady, I've eaten kingdoms. Wow. You see, if you're going to be saved in all the various aspects of that word and everything that it means, you must approach God. You must wrestle with God. You must contend with God. If you will be saved by God, you must be harmed by God. And there are no exceptions to that rule. You must pick up your cross and follow after him. No ease, no escape, but victory but victory. And that's what this sermon series is all about. Today is our last sermon in the series. And uh, I'm hoping to round out the story for you. And we have one more principle to learn, but that's what this series is all about. How to make it through trial victoriously, abundantly, how to suffer well unto the Lord. Amen. Well, let's get into our text and then we'll learn our principle for the morning. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. Now, of course, if you've been in the series, you know what's happening here. We've gone through all of this. But the Amalekites have stolen the women and the children and sold them into slavery, or have captured them into slavery, and David and his men uh, weep in anguish. Verse 3 And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. Could you imagine? Losing your entire family, your future, your legacy. All that God had promised you, gone in an instant. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. Why? Because it gets worse for David. He's not only suffering trial, he's standing trial. For the people spoke of stoning him. They wished to try him and execute him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Amen? That's what we're trying to learn how to do, how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God. Let's continue reading just a couple more verses and stay focused. Verse 7. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord. Seeking guidance. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Now, because this is the last sermon in the series, and, and uh, there's, of course, dozens more principles on suffering that we could deduce, but we're not going to do this forever. Um, just real quick, what happens is David immediately obeys the Lord, and he sets out in pursuit of the Amalekites. He is exhausted, his men are exhausted. They are wounded. Many of the men fall away out of sheer exhaustion hundreds, 200 to be precise. They eventually capture the Amalekites. They uh, slaughter them in holy vengeance. And they return all the seed, all the offspring, and all the women back to their fellowship. This is a, a beautiful type of Jesus' victory over sin, over Satan. Over the minions of Satan as he captures uh, his, uh, his enemies, enslaving them, slaughtering them, and saving his bride and his bride's children. Amen. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Upon return, David shares and spreads all the gifts and all the spoils with his people. And they are blessed and they are given abundance and prosperity. Amen and amen. So read the story for yourself, but that is how it ends. And we've learned a lot from it so far. What are some of the things we've learned? We've learned that we must accept all suffering from the sovereign hand of the Lord. Amen? We must seek Him for guidance in the midst of suffering. We must be open to Him, completely vulnerable, holding nothing back. We must confess our sins to Him, etc., etc. We've learned a lot of principles on how to have victory in the midst of pain. And today, though, we have one short principle, keeping it simple, and that is that we are to fix our eyes on Christ. Let's say that together. Let's fix our eyes on Christ. That's right. We can turn our eyes upon the Lord. But once having turned our eyes upon the Lord, we must fix our eyes upon the Lord and never, never let them off. And that's precisely what we see David doing. We see it in Psalm 69 verse 1. Now you remember Psalm 69 is the psalm that he wrote when he was going through this trial. And look at it. Look at David's orientation. Look which way his head is turned. Save me, O God. He's directly addressing God in the midst of his suffering and trial. He's oriented toward God. Why does he need to be saved? For the waters have come up to my neck. Now, does that characterize you in the midst of trial, suffering, financial, health, relational, etc.? Do you fixate on the waters... Up to your neck, or do you fixate on God? You can see the contrast here. I think we would be tempted, water's up to here, to be focused on the water. Amen? I think we might also be focused on the fact that the water is just below where we breathe from. Amen? But he's focused on God. He goes on throughout all Psalm 69 and he says, O God of Israel, O Lord, answer me, Lord. He's constantly fixated on the Lord. He takes all of his trials and all of his suffering and he plunges them into the loving care of the Lord. He casts his cares on the Lord. He's oriented toward the Lord. He is not oriented toward his problems. Nor is he oriented toward his feelings. Right? Nor is he oriented towards the circumstances in this world. He's oriented primarily and ultimately upon Jesus because that's where his strength comes from, and that's where any ability to be victorious in the midst of trial is going to come from. And that phrase, fix your eyes on Jesus, you know this, it comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Let's go through this just, just briefly because there's a lot of principles here about how to suffer. Now, focus with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, Since we, who is the we? That's Christians. Are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. All right. Now the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Hebrews to Christians who are under persecution. They're being tempted to fall back into Judaism. To return to Jerusalem and to incur the judgment of God, rather than to move forward into the new covenant era with Jesus, they are tempted to fall back, to backslide. And so he's encouraging them. And he gives them an encouragement in chapter 11, and Pastor Kirk read from that earlier, where he lists all the saints which have gone on before. Abel, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Enoch, and Noah, and Ruth, and Esther, and Barak, and Samson. We could go on forever talking about all the saints which have gone on before us, And entered into their full victory and their full inheritance. And he refers to them, not only them, but all those saints of church history, some of your ancestors, some of your great grandparents, those who have gone before us Augustine, Luther, Calvin, some of the greats, but many billions of unnamed saints who've gone on before us. These all comprise what is called the great cloud of witnesses. Witnesses could be translated those who give testimony those who bear faith, those who are martyred. And a cloud is literally a cloud, but figuratively it's a crowd. So you see the picture here. As we run a race, suffering, trial, affliction, we are surrounded by a massive crowd. So surrounded it's as if we're in a cloud. And we are to, not ultimately, but partially, consider them. Fix our eyes on them. Receive encouragement from them. Read the saints of old. Read the testimonies of the martyrs. Read the stories of the scriptures so that when you're going through trial, you're not tempted to believe you're the only one that's ever been there before. Amen? Jesus Christ and all the saints have been tempted in the same ways you are and suffer in the same ways that you are. And it's not in the English. It's in the Greek. You can't see it in the English. But this great cloud of witnesses is our possession we own it. It is our inheritance. And so you must claim that inheritance and make use of it when you go through a trial. Has anyone here ever gone through a trial and been inspired by other saints who have gone through similar things? Of course. Now, you see, my family and I, not, well, not me, but my family, they like to run cross-country. And, uh, and they, they run 5Ks and 10Ks. And I like to visit in my street clothes. And I hang out by the finish line. That's where I hang out. And they run this very long race, in my opinion, miles, mouth open, breathing violently, drool, snot, red-faced, matted hair, right? The weather outside is sometimes inclement, sometimes hot, sometimes cold. They have their number on their chest. They're a runner in a race and the race has been set before them. It's clearly marked out and designed. There's a start, there's a finish, there's a purpose, there's an end. All of that is marked out. And as they run, the pain increases and the cramps and the the shin splints and the bruised heels, all of that. But they run their race with, with perseverance and with endurance and they're surrounded by other people running the race. Amen. Are we not surrounded by other people running the race? But it's not just the people around us running the race. It's also those who have gone before and have already crossed through the finish line. You see, as the race builds up and time goes on, there's a whole crowd of people that amasses right around the finish line. It's all those who've run the race already and have already gone through the finish line, chest out. Breathing heavily, they walk through the finish line, and the race is over, and the trial is over, and the affliction is over. And then, you know what happens. You eat jambalaya. That's right. <laughs> you do. You drink cold beer. You drink uh, soda if you're a kid. And there's a band playing. And it's a, celebra- a celebratory environment. It's, it is really a party. Uh, it's a, a, a party. As people strive and they strain, and it's so interesting how such pain and and sweat and blood oftentimes you see people crossing the finish line with blood on their shirt, right? Blood and, and sweat is then immediately plunged into celebration and victory and accomplishment and rest, And the tears are wiped away and the sweat is wiped away and they get to put on new clothes. Get off all those sweaty, nasty clothes and eat a good meal and have a celebration with their friends. And that's the place I stay. I stay there. (laughs) Refusing to run the race, which has not been said before me. But I stay there in the crowd, in the crowd of celebrating people. It's awkward for me because I'm in street clothes and they've all just run a race. Like, they have things to brag about. I'm just, you know, the, the big guy over there in the corner. Like, what's he doing here? But I'm waiting for my family. And as they approach the finish line, you know what happens. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And they run with them and they cheer them on. See, that is available for you. This is why it's so important to know church history to read church history, to hear church history being taught. That is available for you. Not just people in this life now, but the people who've gone on before us. And this is available for you in the scriptures. There is no trial that you will ever go through that some of the saints in the Bible didn't also go through. You just got to find the page and meditate on it. That's your possession. Amen? That's a great point, a great principle. But let's move on and see what he says. He says, therefore, because all these guys are cheering us on, Right? <laughs> and witnessing us and encouraging us, let us lay aside every weight. That means, so hey, if they're cheering you on, you don't want to run slow, do you? You know, how embarrassing is that when you're being encouraged and they're screaming and you just slow down. I don't want to run. No. When they're cheering you on and they've done it, you want to run faster. So you want to confess your sins. You want to lay your sins aside. There's nothing that will slow you down or alter your course, make you run around in circles for a while, then the sin, you want to have a clean conscience, be light and agile, right? Light, and you don't want to run in waders, right? You, you, you don't want to run zipped up in a sleeping bag. You don't want to run with a ball and chain. You want to run light and free, Nike tennis shoes on, just straight to the finish line. You don't want to circle around and fall back and go forward and cross. There's no shortcuts. You've got to go in one direction, but sin just slows you down. So lay aside all those sins. Confess your sins. If you're in a trial, don't neglect to confess your sins. Not that the trial is because of your sins. You're not being punished. You're not a criminal. You're a child of God. Amen. But you want to be light and you want to be free. Lay aside those things and and the sin which clings so closely like, uh, like uh, waiters, trying to run on waiters, and let us run with endurance, perseverance, the race that is set before. That's your life. That's our life, and it is set before. You do not predestine. God predestines. You do not choose your own destiny or choose your own adventure. God establishes the creation. He sustains it. He providentially orchestrates all the aspects of your life. He sets the race before you. Amen. And we run it and we don't quit. Let's move on. There's a bit more here. As we run it, what do we do? We look to Jesus. Amen. We look to Jesus. You see, because He ran the race first, He ran the, the race in perfect time, world record speed. Right? He's the founder. He started it and He's the perfecter. He's the one that brings it to full completion our faith. And why did he run? What was his motivation? The joy that was set before him. The cross was not a joy. He endured the cross. He picked up his cross and he ran this race that the Father had set for him. And he did it because he knew what was on the other side of the finish line. And we are to do the same thing. We are to run the race that is set before us. We are to bear our cross just like him. And we are to do it fixing our eyes on Jesus. He fixed his eyes on the Father. Amen? At the very end of his life, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was oriented to the Father. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And we fix our eyes on the ultimate revelation of the Father, which is King Jesus. We fix our eyes on him. I want to go into this a little bit more because the worst thing in the world for me as a pastor and a preacher is to leave you with cliches that you don't understand. I want this to be more than a cliche. I want it to even be more than a metaphor, you know, even though metaphors help. I want you to really understand what I think and what, the, what I think the Scriptures mean when it says to orient your mind towards the Father, towards the Son. Think of it this way. David and all of his men, who are the bad guys? Who are the baddies? They're, they're the Amalekites. Now, if you're upset about the fact that David wiped them out, don't be too upset. God is the judge. Amen? God is the hammer. Well, David is the hammer. God is the judge. And the Amalekites would make the Nazis look like kittens. The Amalekites were satanic, cannibalistic, evil, evil people. And God said that their time was up. He judged them. And God has the right to judge any nation at any point in time, however he sees fit. Amen? We are not the judge. He is the judge. And he judged the Babylonians this way, the Persians this way, the Medes, the Greeks, the Romans. And he is judging the United States according to his good pleasure. And if we don't repent, we very well may become just like the Amalekites because their sins are our sins. Yes? But David, he fought the Amalekites. But here's the thing. He knew ultimately that who he was really wrestling with and dealing with was God. This is not a concept that is easy to understand. But I want you to understand it. Listen to what Job says. He says when he receives affliction and trial and attacks by the devil, attacks by his cabinet members, attacks from his own wife, what does he say? The Lord takes away. See, it's ultimately the Lord. It's all the Lord. He providentially governs all things and orchestrates every Feature of your life. Ultimately, you're wrestling with the Lord, not the Amalekites. Peter, remember Peter? Bold and courageous Peter wanting to walk out on the water with with King Jesus. He said, Lord, bid me to come and join you. Come on, Peter. You want a greater experience of what it means to follow me and trust me? Come on out here in the waves. And you know the story, right? As he fixed his eyes on the waves, and who wouldn't? He began to sink. But as he oriented his heart and his soul and whole, all of his being to Jesus Christ, who was the one who can calm the waves, who created the waves, he transcended the suffering and the pain. He transcended the turbulence and was not tossed to and fro. You see, that's a great metaphor for us in our life. If you can keep Christ at the center of it, if you can focus on him and not the waves and not your feelings and not the circumstances and not your fears, you can transcend, you can be buoyed up, Through the trial. But if you are overcome with your feelings. Or fixated on those people there. This circumstance. You will go under. Sinking deep into the mire. But if you can rise above it. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And see Christ as the one orchestrating the whole thing. He's painting the portrait. He's pulling the strings. He wrote the story. I should say he's writing the story. With the very own words of his mouth. He is God. Amen. Amen. And he is setting the race before you. Run that race with your eyes and your mind fixed on him. You know, Jacob, Jacob wrestled with Laban. Laban enslaved him for years, lied to him, stole uh, all of his daughter's inheritance. Laban was a wicked and cruel and, and disgusting man. And Esau, I mean, and Jacob wrestled with him for years. Later, Jacob wrestled with Esau. Esau hated him. Esau was threatening his life. In one night, Jacob wrestled with a man for the whole night. And you know what dawned on him eventually? That really, ultimately, who was he wrestling with? It's really God. If he could wrestle with God and deal with God and and get a blessing from God and not give up and endure, then his name could be changed from Jacob to Israel. And he could receive a greater understanding of who God is and who he is. As Job said at the end of his trial, My ears had heard of you, Lord, but now my eyes have seen you. Now I know you more. Now I know myself more. I got the blessing. Even though I went through the trial. Job knew and Peter knew and David knew and and Jacob knew that ultimately what we're dealing with here, guys, is God. That's who we're dealing with. That's who we're wrestling. That's who designed this race. The obstacles included. Amen. But what about you? You know, you may, you're not afraid of the waves as they toss to and fro in the Sea of Galilee. But the waves of dishes, the waves of diapers, the waves of laundry, right? the waves of criticism, the waves of discouragement. Am I the only one that sometimes fixates on those things and go down under them rather than fixing my eyes on Christ and being buoyed up over it? Something as mundane and simple as doing the dishes. Don't you know that those dishes weren't ultimately put there by your husband <laughs> or your kids? They were put there by Jesus. And so was the soap, and so was the water, and so was the plumbing. And so were all the innovations that surround you. It's all Jesus. Amen. Amen. The laundry is all Jesus. I'm not saying he dirties laundry. I'm just saying he doesn't dirty laundry directly. But he does dirty laundry. You know, grace is not always easy. Grace will mess your hair up. Grace will, will bring pain into your life. He is a lion who has eaten children and kingdoms. But he is the only source of life. And if you want to be saved by him, you must go to him and be willing to wrestle with him and be harmed by him. Remember what he did to Jacob just touched him on the hip and gave him a limp for life. That's your race, Jacob. Run with endurance. You see, the Bible says that suffering is a test, but who's administering the test? It's God. When Jesus was in the wilderness, tempted by the devil for 40 days, right? And starvation and lack of water, lack of shelter. How did he get there? Did anyone read carefully? It says the spirit of God drove him into the wilderness. How did Israel get into the wilderness? God. How did Jesus get into the wilderness? God. It's all God. It's all God. He uses the devil. He uses sin. He uses trials. He does not cause anyone to sin, nor does he sin, nor does he tempt. But he certainly does use them. He uses everything from haters to financial difficulties to debt to visa to the federal government to the IRS to the etc. etc. He uses all things for the good of his church and for his own glory. There's not a dish in this planet. That does not submit to the sovereignty of King Jesus. Amen? So let me just give you some good examples, Christ Church. No, let me give you some bad ones. The unbalanced books, don't look at them, look through them to see the face of your sovereign Lord who loves you and who is probably disciplining you, right? The waste in the pantry, The speeding tickets, the insomnia, the weight problem, the bad grades. It's random stuff I came up with while I was working on this. The struggle with the in laws, the horrible commute, the missing keys, the missing child, the damaged sofa, the leak in the roof. That one. The feelings of loneliness and rejection. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. That is the race that he has set for you. But also the children laughing. That's Jesus. I don't mean it's literally Jesus. I hope you understand I'm not a pantheist. There's a creator and a creation. But he is sovereignly administrating and providentially overseeing everything. In him, we live and move and have our being. Amen. The park on a sunny afternoon. Thank you, Jesus. The good copper pans, who doesn't like those, right? The camp on the bayou, the close friend who likes to chat and makes you feel encouraged, the beautiful new dress, the fun party to wear it at, it's all Jesus. It's all from him. We don't live in a little corner of spirituality where just this 45-minute period in your prayer closet is Jesus. No, it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. What does Job say? It's very clear. Listen to what Job's saying. He gives. He takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What does Paul say? I have learned to be content with much and with little. See, Paul's run the race for a while. He knows how this works. There's ups and there's downs. But there's no shortcuts and there's no way around. So Peter, yes, you're in the midst of the waves. But who calms the waves? Now, I'm talking to you now. Peter, you don't know how the 5,000 are going to be fed. You're looking at the fish. You're looking at the loaves. That's fine. But you understand you are with the one who created the fish and who created the loaves. Amen. And gave that to you. Imagine throwing a seed in the ground, collecting a hundred seeds from that one seed, then being able to grind it into a flour to make a cake. To make bread. And if you just sit that bread on the counter, it turns into sourdough. It's magic. It's from Jesus. It's from Jesus. It's all from Jesus. It's all, here's your bread. You need this today. Today you don't get bread. It's all Jesus. Yes, you wrestle with man, Jacob. But ultimately you're wrestling with God. See this, I mean, I'm mean, i going to leave the individual and go to our nation as a whole because this is a major problem. We live in an individualistic age, a Gnostic age that no longer believes that heaven and earth connect. We live in an age of radical individualism and, and selfish autonomy. And you don't need to know what any of that means. But what it does mean is that this concept is not naturally in our heads. We're all... Materialists living in a material world, meaning we think that this is all that there is. See, that's our default position. That's our default position, and that is our default politics. The conservatives, let's start with them. They say the problem are the commies. Yeah, and they're a problem for sure. And the LGBT, and the swamp, and the swamp monsters. Those are all big problems, Amalekites all around. But what the conservatives, what the Christian quote-unquote right oftentimes don't understand is that it's actually God they have to deal with. It's Jesus they have to deal with. If you repent and turn to Jesus, he'll take care of the Amalekites for you. But if you don't, he will continue to send them. If you refuse to be salt and light in this world, what happens to salt that has lost its savor? It's thrown out in the street and it is trampled by the Gentiles. That is what is happening in the West, in our world. And there's no way you quit the trampling unless you deal with the one who sent it, Jesus. Now, the liberals of our country, they have an equal but opposite problem. They think the problem is class disparities or inequalities or structures. And their solutions are also pretty terrible. But they're also missing the same point that the conservatives are missing. It's not structures. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. So you have to deal with Jesus. And if you don't start there, you get nowhere. You get nowhere. You don't clean the dishes in the sink, not well. And you certainly don't clean up a, the dishes in a nation. Amen, Christchurch? I'm going to leave you with the good news before we move on. Because I think this is interesting. And I think you have to ask this question. Jacob wrestles with Laban and with Esau. He wrestles with this man all night long. He realizes he's actually wrestling with God. You know the story, right? But here's my question. It says in the text that he wrestles with God all night long. And, he, and, and God never wins. Jacob wins. Kind of. What kind of God lets you win? I mean, first of all, what kind of God can be beaten by a man? Say, uncle, say, you will bless me. That's what Jacob said. I'm not letting you go until you bless me. What kind of God can be beaten by a man? I I think of my uncle when I was a young young kid. I still remember this to this day. We arm wrestled. And I took him out. I still remember this to this day. And I, I think I probably was like 24 before it dawned on me. He let me win he let me win I couldn't I was 12 I can't beat my uncle in arm wrestling he let me win but why did he let me win why does God let us wrestle with him and get a blessing and get victory right because he loves us and that love is structured it's covenantal love with blessings and promises attached to it. Amen? The reason why he wrestled with Jacob and Jacob got to have an upper hand, so to speak, was because he was in covenant with Jacob and he had promises with Jacob. You see, you let your son win. Amen? You let your child win. You let your heir win. But you do training. You do disciplining. Amen? Now, God left Jacob with a little reminder maybe so he didn't get too boastful you won but not in every sense of the word and so he touched him on the hip <laughs> and bang his hip went out of socket it's a reminder of who we're dealing with amen Christchurch how can God let us win how can he not condemn us and send us to hell for all eternity? Because Jesus died on the cross for us. He was raised again and he accomplished all that was necessary that we might be in a covenantal relationship with God, his sons, his heirs, so that we can strive with him and and deal with him and wrestle with him and all the race that he set out for us and we can win. Amen, Christ Church. Let's all stand. We're going to sing one hymn of response to this before we continue. The worship leaders are going to come forward. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray for the individuals in our church who are indeed going through suffering right now as we speak. For some, the trial is too much that they just coming to church is a victory. I pray, Father, that you would heal them. You say that by your stripes we are healed. And I know and we know that our ultimate healing will not come into the last day, but it's ours. We'd like you to heal our brothers and sisters who are going through suffering and pain. But we also, Father, acknowledge all the good things you've given us. We don't want to forget that the little things, the big things, it's all from you. Father, I pray that you would strengthen each and every one of the families here and individuals for whatever you have set before them in the race that you have ordained. And I pray that by your spirit and through your word, you would equip them and strengthen them to run with victory. And all who agree with me, would you say amen? Amen. Amen.